Welcome to The Uncertainties, the podcast for 20-somethings who don't quite have their shit together yet. I'm your host, Karis, and I started this podcast because the last few years have been a huge learning curve for me. Entering the world of work, moving out of my family home, trying and often failing to live up to the challenges of being a fully-fledged adult. It can be overwhelming at the best of times, and I know that I'm not the only person who feels like this because I'm going to be speaking to a bunch of my friends and people that I admire about the struggles that they have faced and how they are able to absolutely smash life. Today's guest is a multifaceted beauty. She started presenting during uni when she hosted her own weekly breakfast radio show. Since then, she's gone on to co-produce and host a Super Fox show on Soho Radio and work for the prestigious BBC, hosting an election show called This Matters. Now, she's paved the way as the political podcast queen, as host and creator of the Breakdown podcast, which, as I'm sure you can guess from the title, is helping to break down the biggest news stories, from the A-level fiasco to coronavirus, the US election to, dare I mention, Brexit. Um, Julia's podcast is here to talk us through it all without all of the complicated jargon um, and a completely unbiased voice. Politics, podcasting, piano... Is there anything that this woman cannot do? Welcome, I can't Julia. Really put the piano in there. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Thank you. Paris. Thank you for coming. No I worries. really appreciate it. You've been um, incredibly busy with the flat search. I know. I'm sorry. It, yeah, I've been rubbish to get in touch with, but I have been looking for a flat during. I hate to mention it this early in the podcast, but during COVID, it's been like <laughs> hor- honestly, because there is this mass exodus from London. Everyone's leaving. Sadly, yeah. people have lost jobs, and people are kind of feeling financially insecure. So people are desperate to replace themselves so mm. my little ad on spareroom.com not to toot my own horn but I had like 500 messages Jesus after putting Christ, it up are you for joking? Like two days no of people being like Holy please take home so it's been quite a week yeah um also how does this feel that I'm the one interviewing you as someone who hosts a podcast does it feel really strange it's actually lovely because you I tried to do a podcast about film um and I had to finance it off my own back and as you remember I did two or three episodes and then I just couldn't carry on I had to pause it I might come back to it but you kindly came on and then we went for coffee do you remember yes yes this is a really weird question but I kind of want to present stuff how do I do it and I remember being like Karis just start presenting stuff yeah you're like (laughs) do it that's all I'm gonna say just do it and here you are and you've done like eight or nine ten episodes this is the 11th yeah I just counted right Tanya yeah 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 thank you (laughs) thanks so much really well yeah because Tanya was um episode number 10 Great. So yeah, this is episode eleven. So I can't doing believe. It. I know it. it feels weird. Actually, it's almost been a year, but this year just feels like a bit of a dud because of COVID. Again, sorry to mention, but um, and now we're in this great space as well. So it seems to be going okay, which is good. It really does. I'm yeah. proud of you. Did you always know that you wanted to present? Like, when when did your love for radio come about? Was it like a thing from when you were younger and you were like, God, I really want to, I want to be a radio presenter? Or did you kind of fall into it at uni because it's one of those things that you can just be like, oh, I'm going to join the radio society? Yes, the second one, nice. for sure. That's, that's I wanted nice. to be an actor as a kid for the whole time. Me and too. then I, yeah, <laughs> what is it with London? Thought, yeah, everyone. honestly. <laughs> and I pitched to my parents having done I was quite studious at school got good grades and they were heartbroken to hear that I wanted to go to 
drama school. Oh my god! And yeah. essentially, they were on a campaign to try and persuade me against it, which a lot of people <laughs> are quite mortified to hear. They're like, "Your parents should have supported your dreams," but they no, were worried, right? Yeah, I mean, it's the most financially unstable career ever to go into. For sure. So, like, I mean, they, they the really have your back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, they they kind of were on a campaign just to show me how dangerous that idea yeah. was. Um, <laughs> successfully, because be like, they did really freak me out about it, and they said, yeah. "Listen, if you want to do a masters after uni, in." acting you can look into that but can we like just really heavily suggest yeah suggest that's exactly what my parents said they were like you know what we will 1000 percent support you after you get a degree i was like okay okay i get that (laughs) this is the thing i feel bad because i'm not the kind of person to squash dreams and i when i talk about this i always feel a bit guilty because i went the safe route and i got a degree in politics which i guess we'll come on to in, in a sec but like I there still wanted to pursue some aspect of performing. Performance, exactly, yeah. Um, And the idea of radio freaked me out massively because at least when you're acting, you can be someone else. But when you're on radio, your whole USP is you. Yeah, being authentically yourself. Yeah, Yeah. and the best radio presenters are the ones who you feel like you're best mates with them and you Mm. know them so well. And you almost feel like you could anticipate what they're going to say next because they're so authentically them, you Mm. know? So it was an intimidating idea, but I thought... Well, I'll give it a go because it's some aspect of performing, but it's also within the, you know, the campus environment. I can still do my degree. So um, I did that and I was woeful, terrible. <laughs> but that's what you need really? for. Like, okay. Oh, God, it's so what? bad. I can't even bear to listen back to it. The thing so is, bad. because you have one shot, like, I sw- well, I imagine, because you're not, it's not like with acting where you can be like, okay, cut, take, let's do that again. It's like, it's this is live. <laughs> I can't go back. If I say something really stupid and play fumble, it's like, how do I get myself out of this hole? Exactly. Like, it must be so scary. Yeah, and the more TV type stuff I do now, the more I fear that one day some rogue <laughs> hater is going to unravel this old no. uni radio stuff because it's somewhere. Remember 2012 either. where you said that and you're like, no, don't do it to me. I just remember Sleepless saying, nights. Avicii, like, every single day because I didn't he had to play music he had to play music and David Gezza loved him had to play music every five minutes ten minutes and I wasn't that hot on what was like (laughs) what was in the charts yeah have you guys heard of a DJ called Avicii (laughs) very very David Guerra yeah Uh, nice but this is the thing about campus radio or hospital radio or like voluntary radio basically is you can F it up I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. You fuck it up and practice and no one listens. I had 14 listeners for most of my episodes and nice. two of them were my parents listening on like different laptops. Oh. <laughs> so you can make Sounds all very mistakes. similar to my podcast, but yeah. <laughs> no, I'm a listener. I'm a listener. I'm one of those. Um, so that was a, a really great kind of um, area for me to practice and realise how much I liked it. And then from there, it was kind of all accidental that I thought, I love politics. I love radio. I like performing. Why don't I match them all together? Yeah. Yeah. And do a I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What was your favourite thing about radio? Is that the end of the question? Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say more and then I was like, actually, I ramble quite a lot. So I'm actually just not, I'm going to just let you answer it. Um, Kind of um, counterintuitively, it's the fact that it's live because that is so intense. Yeah. But it's also such a rush. And if you get a good link or like, you know, a good moment of conversation, a good interview, and it's live, and it sounds good, then there's like, nothing quite like it. Yeah, Absolutely. I can't even imagine the adrenaline high yeah. from that. Yeah, And also, you know, when you do start making radio that people listen to, which is a nice step in the career, <laughs> and people are writing in and, and telling you that they're enjoying the track you're playing or that they're enjoying the conversation, that's 
so engaging to think, oh my goodness, we're entertaining people, we're yeah. informing people, and we're having a good time in the studio. So the it's fact so that it's rewarding. live was the best part of it. But would I go back to it? Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> you, that's not the only thing that you did performance-wise, because you were also a cheerleader, I believe. Is yeah, that you, true? You know that from your sister. Yeah, yeah I sorry do. Sorry about that. <laughs> now, it's, so, it's weird, isn't it? Like, someone who's really into politics, but also super into cheerleading. So, I mean, I just... multifaceted. I said at the beginning, I meant it. No, I, I feel like people have an idea of what cheerleaders are, and they're just kind of all horrible to each other, and they're all standing at the side of American football games, waving pom-poms around. But actually... I, I don't even know the rules to American football. That wasn't an aspect of it. We yeah. do these kind of gymnastic type dance competitions. Is that more dancey, right? Did like. you watch um did you watch Cheer this year? No. <gasps> I know this is a what? blasphemy from me. Sorry. Oh my god, it's so good. Okay. It's so good. It's on good. Netflix. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Okay. It's a classic. You'll burn through it. Oh, my God. I've wow, been burning through Selling Sunset recently. Oh, my God. Now Selling I've Sunset that. is incredible. Oh, you finished? So now I can move on to cheer. The so thing is, Christine wrong. is a dickhead as well, but she's I really so, like yeah, her. Yeah, because she's so sassy and <laughs> yeah. so extra, but she comes in with like, oh, my God. You're like, you're a dick, but my God, you do it with sass. Yes, and like, yes. I, I have I respect to respect you. you for it. <laughs> it's annoying. But, um... The reason I've noticed that is because, like you said before, my podcast is all about explaining what's going on mm. with politics. And it's fueled by listeners asking me questions. And the men who write in will just ask me the question what, that they want to know. You know, what's mm. going on with Brexit or um, is Trump going to win the next American election or whatever? And women will always preface what they say with... I'm really sorry if this is a stupid question, but... There's so much self-deprecation, isn't like, there? Like, it's yeah, chronic. It's ridiculous, yeah. Or they'll ask a really intelligent question and then I'll reply saying, that's a brilliant question. They'll go, oh, great, sorry if you've had it a lot. Or just, like, they've already been told it's a good question. But yeah, but still, still doubting themselves, yeah. And that's why, as much as Christine like, is a terrible asshole on that show, I can't <laughs> help but think I kind of respect that you've just so shaken off this need to apologise that so many women have yeah and I do very, as well right yeah god I do it all the time yeah. I have to catch myself writing emails and then control F the word sorry and then take it all <laughs> out because it's yeah peppered all over no really yeah. yeah do you not kind of think about what when I catch myself apologising I really try to break it down in my head you know after the event you know when you're mm. looking at yourself in the mirror afterwards going why did you, you know, <laughs> why did you waffle on like that but I'll ask myself kind of did you say sorry because you genuinely are sorry and you genuinely are uncertain? Mm. Or did you say it because you don't want them to think you're bullish? Because they're two different things, right? Like yeah. it wasn't genuine, but you said it so that they don't think you're a bitch. Which one is it? I mean, both are problematic, but I can't even get to the bottom of why I'm so apologetic. So I need to get to that before I can start genuinely erasing it. Next, yeah. yeah, it's so tricky. Um, and I think that also comes with a lot of confidence in yourself, which a lot of people don't have, especially like. That's why we need uh, to follow age. Christine to the end. <laughs> so I just wanted to talk a little bit. Obviously, you've spoken about um, the fact that you moved out of London and went back to York. Um, during lockdown. Was that literally right at the beginning of lockdown you decided to go? It was, yeah, middle of March. So lockdown started on the 23rd of March, didn't it? And I kind of started feeling incredibly anxious in London. And mm. I was living in this central place. People were... I just felt something in the air. I couldn't mm. describe it. And I just thought, I can't be here right now. Um, 
so I just yeah spoke to my parents and I said I'm, I think I'm going to come home. They were delighted about that. They were really really happy. We're kind of a really close. Yeah, yeah. you look it from your Instagram. <laughs> I know, That's my dad's so like cute. Micro celebrity on my Instagram. He actually is. Honestly, I live I live for it. As soon as I see your dad, I'm like, this is going to be a good. Yeah, this... <laughs> but I've banned him from getting his own Instagram. I control what content goes out. Yeah, of him. otherwise I could spiral quite quickly. Exactly. Or what? What if he got bigger than you? Is that the? This is my actual. The, yeah, fear. that's the fear, isn't it? <laughs> now it's out there. If he listens to this, which he will. Um, then he's going to set one up behind my back. Not so was that? Here. So the main reason was really just because you wanted to feel a bit closer to home, and that you ha- was starting to sense that feeling of anxiety. Was there any of it to do with being a freelancer and worrying about work drying up? I hadn't even got to that. I really? was just anxious, okay. genuinely, about the what the is whole this state disease? of affairs. How yeah. do we cure it? Is it going to be as more serious? And what was kind of getting me is social media turned into this blame game Mm. which it still is but right then it was kind of particularly toxic where people were you know taking pictures of people hugging in the street and people oh god yeah i don't how dare they be in a crowd and that was like the daily mail's bread and motherfucking butter (laughs) which is baiting out celebrities being like they are hugging in the middle of a street like my sister would always send me screenshots being like oh my god here we go again so i felt Um, kind of doubly anxious about First of all, there's this COVID thing yeah. that none of us know what it is. And, it, you know, I remember thinking back to that mindset. We're in a different place with it now. We've got more understanding of it and we kind of know where we are with it. But back then, it was just this mystery thing, right? Yeah. I was going to say, you, uh, during Mental Health Awareness Week, you posted a really fantastic video that I really, really appreciated. And you kind of just spoke really openly and honestly about, yeah, what we've kind of been discussing about how... Um, the, your experience of coronavirus and how it, you'd had a kind of a quite severe decline, I guess, in your mental health and how you were feeling. Because I think as everyone has, it forced so many people to have a lot of time for introspection and just like, well, too much time really to yeah. just kind of look at yourself and what you're doing. Um, Hell yeah. And I firstly want to say thank you because it can be a very difficult thing to be that open on like big social media channels. Thank you. I'd have but- three big glasses of wine so everyone was like you're so brave I was like I was I don't remember it yeah (laughs) but no that video was like it was way more it wasn't even anxiety about the virus anymore like you say it was from there is definitely such a thing as too much inward Mm. or you you put a great introspection Um, and I was thinking about what I should have achieved by this age I was thinking about I'm single so I was thinking about my timeline and all that bullshit you know how old should I be when I meet someone how old should I be when I get married I just went down like, yeah like a rabbit hole yeah a big and then my hole. career was I mean yeah like you say I am freelance and by that point the financial thing had hit me but it's not even that it was more the I, I've set out I've put all my eggs in this basket of being this kind of political commentator and presenter mm. and is this virus gonna fuck it up for me is it gonna pull the rug from under me and and stop me and then then I would feel guilty for thinking about myself too much when other people were going through much harder stuff than me. Yeah. You know, I was just worried about my career and whether I'm going to get married, but other people have got um, lives on the line and, and loved ones on the line. So this this kind of cycle of bullshit that I was in, I just almost thought if I make if I make myself accountable to this by putting it on social media, maybe it'll help. And it did, especially because people were messaging me going, I feel exactly I was going to say way. when you create a network of people and you realise that everyone is in the same position and everyone is feeling the exact same way, you're like, okay, this is... Not a good way of thinking, but at least I know I'm not alone in this. Yeah. And there's a way out, yeah. I guess. Yeah, and, and you know, there's, there are embarrassing words 
to use to describe yourself and I just thought I'm gonna use them I'm not even gonna sugarcoat it because some people put mental health kind of discussions on social media but Mm. I do feel like they're still holding back and I thought I'm just gonna go for it I'm really lonely and I feel really inadequate Mm. and those two words are mortifying and no one wants to be seen especially on social media which is just this big dick swinging look how happy I am parade I just (laughs) thought actually I feel inadequate and I'm lonely I'm gonna tell everyone that because my other than that, my social media is like a big look at me, I'm so happy thing. So it was this really kind of blunt punctuation in the middle of that. It's a full stop, yeah, exactly. And that is what connected so many people to me and I, I, I was really glad that those three glasses of wine pushed me to do that. Now that you're back in London and things are kind of, I was about to say starting to reopen, but it feels like they might be starting to shut again. But... Now that normality is kind of slowly creeping back in, how are you coping? And how, like, how has that journey been for you? Are you feeling much better about the future? No. <laughs> Fair. No, I like, I like the blood honesty. No, that's exactly what I needed. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question other than no. Um, I'm feeling better mentally. Yeah. I'm definitely on, not on the downward spiral, but I'm not feeling comfortable. I'm not feeling safe. I'm not feeling confident. Um, and... I'm glad that actually there does seem to be this open dialogue. I think lockdown, one thing that it has forced us to do is to just get a bit more real with each other. Mm. When you see someone, you say, how are you? We've but stopped we really being so British it. about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. If, if people are feeling a bit low or a bit scared, they'll, they'll say a bit more, I've noticed. Um, so no, I don't, I don't feel like completely back to where I was. I worry that I'm not going to get there for a long time. And yeah, like we were saying, you know, before we started recording, career-wise... It is a long uphill slog. And before lockdown, I was like smashing it. Yeah, no, but <laughs> you really it. were. Yeah, like you were was... on such a, you had so much momentum. Oh, momentum so for that to all yeah. like grind to a massive halt must be really, I don't even know how, like it must be a bit like paralyzed. You must be like, oh God, like what What the hell? Yeah, was free falling. Yeah. I feel like the rug's been pulled from under me. That was so many metaphors, but you know what I mean? Like I just felt like, Yes, I'm getting there. It's taking and to years. kind of rebuild that momentum again. Do you feel like you? I don't are... know if I've got the energy. That's yeah. what I'm scared of. Like, does I... anyone have the energy? In, like during this time, it's crazy. Yeah, well, that's the thing. That is comforting if people also kind of share that. Um, but no, I I feel like I have. You know, as well, it's not just me personally. It's the some of the kind of guess institutions production companies people that I had contacts with and connections with and I had plans with have completely reshuffled. Some people I know have been let go. So yeah. it's like, actually, the the track I was on has completely changed course with like even taking me out of the equation. So I now have to, all these years of building up a network and kind of putting myself out there as I'm the girl that knows about politics, I can mm. present and talk about this stuff. And now I have to m- kind of make new connections. And like that, in my opinion, is the most exhausting aspect of the career we're in. Yeah, media oh, is, sure. is networking. I hate. Also, it. how do you network during this time? Because <laughs> yeah. annoyingly, it's really dickish to say, but it's literally just like going for drinks, doing this. <sighs> like you can't do that yeah. now. So how are you meeting new people during this time? Yeah, and people it must are, be really tricky. People are stressed and they're worried. So they, the last thing they want is to just go for like a quick gratuitous coffee with someone they don't know that well to in inverted commas connect. That's yeah. not as regular a thing as it was before. So <sighs> just trusting in the bloody process though. <laughs> And grinding, like that is the thing. If you grinding. just keep working, people can't mistake that. And I just keep putting myself out there as like, I am the chick that knows about politics. Mm. And if you put yourself out violently enough all the time, <laughs> if you people really remember push that your face. Yeah. yeah. No, but it is, it is so true. People go, because so this is true. what happened the first time, you know, when I got the BBC gig, 
it all came from I it's like an it's a kind of a mad story actually I'll, I'll start from the beginning basically I was working as a tour guide at the BBC studios yeah I remember you saying yeah and I uh, loved that job, but I wanted to be presenting. And it was almost yeah. torture to be in like the Blue Peter studio, the Match of the Day studio, and to think all I want is to be oh, on Because you were doing the tools yeah. for the... Showing <laughs> like, people around. This is where I could be. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, God, that really is like dangling the bait in front Rough, of you. Right? Oh, yeah. So then I um, ended up getting a little temp job for the BBC events team. And um, they just needed someone to stand in. I was basically in the office and they asked me to do it. And I was like, yeah, and it ended up being like a two month thing where I put together these events in house for various departments. And one of those events was a women's networking event for International Women's Day. And they said, um, line up as many high profile people within the BBC as you can to be mentors and then open up lots of slots for the more junior staff to be their mentees and to book themselves in. Oh, that's awesome. So I got in touch with Laura Koonsberg, who's the political editor of the BBC. Very nice. Yeah. Is that is she like idol? Well, this is the thing. She's controversial. People think that she. I mean, people have very strong opinions about her. I, having met her a lot, she's a legend. I'm yeah, putting it out okay. there. She's a legend. She takes people under their wing. She takes the time. She works so fucking hard. I do and have a lot of respect for her. I have definitely done a U-turn myself because I used to find her really fucking annoying and then I started listening to Brexit cars and then for, I just, something clicked she's and I was like, mate. yeah, she and is and a She's alert. so smart and she's worked so hard and I just, mm. I can't cope with how brilliant she is. But I so know people now you are BFS with Laura nice. <laughs> Well, this one kind of came around in this weird and wonderful way because I was still technically a tour guide. I didn't deserve to be one of these mentees because technically it was like you had to hook up the junior journalists with Laura Koonsberg. You had to hook up the researchers with the people making the one show whatever but I kind of lied kind of bent the truth a bit <laughs> to a bunch of people and okay. made out like I deserve to be one of Laura Koonsberg's mentees even yeah. though I'm fucking tour guide in Manchester and she was a political editor in London managed to get a slot and then came clean to her straight away when I met her and I said, listen, I'm a tour guide, I'm not a journalist, but I've been making these shitty YouTube videos explaining politics. And I was doing things like, what does the House of Lords do? And how does the Electoral College voting system work in America? These questions that everyone is too embarrassed to ask, but mm, nobody knows the answers mm. to. And she loved it. And she was like, these are terrible, but you're great. Why don't I, <laughs> why don't I help you? So she introduced me to a few people. They all kind of forgot about me. But then almost a year later, they were having a meeting uh, at the BBC. They call it The Nine, where all these very important people meet at nine o'clock on, I guess, every morning. But I think it was a Monday morning. And they all talk about what we're doing this week. And somebody said, there's this new show in the works. It's going to talk about the elections. We want a young, preferably female voice who isn't a typical journalist. We want someone who's a bit spunkier and maybe doesn't have that training. So they have a different sound and a different voice. Mm. Um, And... Somebody said, I've actually heard of this girl, Julia Bell, and I met her through this person, through this person, through Laura Koonsberg, and then they brought me in. So it was literally... like a happenstance. Yeah, that's amazing. And they they say it's not about what you know, it's not about who you know, it's about who knows you. Mm. And that's what it's like. If you just put yourself out there and like lie if you have to, elbow your way to the top, get your face in front of people who have power, they will hopefully, down the line drag you into something yeah no 100 percent. and it takes a real type of person as well to be able to do that because there are so many people who who do want to do things and want to you know become a presenter or they want to be an actress they want to do this but can't face the idea of any form of rejection or they can't face the idea of putting themselves out there and it kind of falling on deaf ears or not being heard basically but that basically is what you have to do for years and years and years. Yeah. And 
If you have no contacts, shown, yeah, because this is the thing: these in- industries, film, media, um, whatever, they all fashion. They all have a reputation, and rightly so, in my opinion, that. If you know somebody, you're gonna get further. Oh god! If your yeah. dad is the director of whatever, you're gonna you're gonna get work experience when you're sixteen, it's and you're gonna get a place. Most annoying thing. Totally, but you know we shouldn't be victims about that. Life is unfair, and if you if you just push yourself in the ranks somehow, and you can do it, mm. and like at the end of the day, the people behind these emails are just human beings. Yeah. And when you meet them, you realise that. But it, obviously, it takes a lot to get through to them. But if you can somehow wangle it, it's way easier and it's way more plain sailing when you get. In front of yeah, them. once you have that face to face, exactly. Yeah. And it's so much harder to forget a face than to forget an yes. email that has just slipped in and you're like, mm, and then, you know, who goes is this into... random person? And yeah, if exactly. You show, like, I think it's all about if you show that you genuinely want it. It's not, oh, I've always liked the idea of being a presenter. Oh, cool. What have you made? Oh, nothing. Yeah. Why the fuck would I give you any work when there's all these people who are grinding, making stuff off their own backs, giving up on parties, weddings, weekends to, like you're doing with your podcast, making your own shit? That's way more inspiring, way more interesting. And I can actually see proof of your talent. Yeah, Whereas no, for someone completely. who's like, oh, I've always wanted to be an actor. And then they've just felt immediately victimised by the fact they don't have any contacts and kind of given up. Then, well, fuck you then. You don't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit of Christine. That's like Christine. Yes. Cool. I love it. The fire is set. <laughs> I feel like this chat has definitely brought us very nicely onto the breakdown, which we obviously have to talk about because it is your passion project, really. Yeah. Um, when did you begin doing it and how did you come up with the idea? Well, obviously, it sounds as though you've just always had a massive passion for politics. But what was when was the moment where you were like, OK, let's do this as a podcast. And I think that this is going to reach mass audiences. Again, it was about who knew me. It was not my idea. It's not even I didn't even name it. Um, basically, a podcast producer approached me. I was writing a blog. Um, I'd done bits of work for Radio 5 Live and what have you talking about politics. And my voice was very much I can make this understandable. Mm. You don't have to be intimidated by this. It is interesting if you get through all the kind of boring bullshit. If you get right to the core of it, this is really important stuff. And I can do that for you. I can kind of penetrate it for you. Um, so it all kind of came together and then she, this podcast producer, said, I've got the name, I've got the logo, everything. I'm just going to oh, just go for it. So it all got put in front of my face, which is beautiful. That's amazing. Yeah, but I write and it then, and do it all myself. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. She edits it, she sorts it all out and she's made it the kind of beautiful little thing that it is thank god and how long ago was that now that feels october she i think she reached out to me in summer last year and then we got going okay so you're just coming up to your year anniversary i know that's crazy episodes which you've done a lot of episodes yeah each episode takes at least a day because there's so much work that goes into it i have to really i mean if i'm putting myself out there as this person that knows everything about everything you you need to yeah and people i don't know if you know this but people get fucking angry about politics so i can't get anything wrong what politics being a controversial subject (laughs) i know my whole thing is i try to make it gentle and relaxed and fun but sometimes you just can't yeah and i know that if i even take a slight step in, in the wrong direction or if i show a glimmer of bias people are on me and it does make me question why, why am I doing this this is quite depressing and yeah, yeah, I just yeah. want to have fun and talk about something I'm passionate about why did it have to be politics but at the end of the day it helps way more people than it pisses off 
So, yeah. How do you find it when people do get really irate on your... Do you find yourself getting into those, like, big, long debates on your Instagram where you're just like... No. Do you not? Okay. Hell no. Because anyone I who... I think I would just find it so hard to, res- like, keep myself reserved. If someone was saying something just genuine... Like, you know when people are just very provocative and you're, like, you know that they're just saying something to be really fucking annoying and I just would like, be like... But they're oh. always idiots. Yeah. It's like where you have something to prove. Why? Who cares? No one's listening to this. And I'm not. And I, if they get abusive, I'll delete them. So I'd never get into it. The only time that I will respond is if someone's maybe um, giving me constructive feedback saying, I think that that was unfair what you did there. I don't think you're particularly balanced in your approach. And if they're right, and if I listen back to it and I think, actually, you're onto something there, I'll kind of confront that. and Or I'll defend myself if I feel like people are giving feedback in the right spirit but yeah. I think they're misled. How it. many um, questions do you get on a weekly basis? Like, is it, do you find it quite overwhelming having to like wade your way through all of the questions? And are they... Some weeks not. Some weeks it's pretty relaxed and people tend to ask similar things. And like some weeks I'll only get about 30, 40 people getting in touch. Um, and then some weeks it's overwhelming. Probably the biggest one, or well, the elections in 2019, December was big because people wanted to know what each party stood for and what was going yeah, on. Yeah, that was and a great episode. Thank that you. really, really helped me. My God, yeah. Yeah, well, that was a great idea. My produ- The wonderful woman who got in touch with me and produces it for me, she said, you should outline what's in each manifesto, but do it blind. So mm. don't tell the listeners which manifesto you're talking about. Just have A, B and C. Then they can digest all that information, decide which one they like, and then reveal it at the end. Such a good idea. It's I such would, a good idea. I'd never have come it up with that. So, so it's well. great. Yeah, it's great to have a team. Um, so that one, I got definitely the most questions, like hundreds and hundreds. And then most recently when Kanye West decided to throw <laughs> I was his hat in the ring. I was ask you about this. Everyone, genuinely, the biggest question was, what the fuck? <laughs> That's why everyone's asking me. That would probably have been my question too. Yeah. yeah. We wanted to call the episode that but we didn't yeah <laughs> just what the fuck kim kardashian who in many ways i've got a lot of respect for and i don't want to join this kind of kim kardashian bashing parade but she went on the ellen degeneres show and ellen was like what do you think about kanye running for president and she said i had no idea yeah is that when she's like oh he was quite high when he said yeah. it yeah and then ellen said well what would you make of being first lady and she said well i would have a lot of fun with the interior design of the white house <laughs> and i thought fuck <laughs> like this is not what we need man Good if that's number God one help yeah. priority come on so yeah I was disappointed to hear that a question that I had for you that I think is crazy is it's the first time that we are experiencing so many things right now so we have never in our lives or most of us I don't I think have ever experienced Brexit or like leaving the EU None of us, I hope, ever expected that we would be experiencing a global pandemic and I hope that we never have to again. How do you find it quite daunting that you are now a person who is that people look to to basically explain the inexplicable? Like you're you're the person who has to try and digest all of this and figure out how we navigate it. Yeah. Do you find that quite exciting that you're that person or quite daunting now? I used to find it purely exciting. Firstly, because hardly anyone listened at first, so there wasn't that pressure. And the people who did were, like, loyal and positive. Mm. Now it's obviously a bit more mixed. There's more pressure there and there's much more listeners. And then the second reason is because before, Brexit was the biggest thing on our minds and I could get my head around it. As much Mm. as it was dry and there was a lot of paperwork involved in it and it was all kind of very complicated, I could... I'm going to use that word again. I could penetrate it. Now, you're right, it's kind of gotten the best of me. And the week that I struggled the most was um, when 
George Floyd died. I Well, no, George Floyd was murdered, is what happened. And I put myself out there as someone who is reasonable and unbiased in most areas, but that if something is right or wrong, there's no such thing as bias. It's either right or wrong. Mm. And Black Lives Matter as a campaign and as a movement is not subject to debate. It's not something that, you know... Oh, well, you have that opinion, but I have this opinion. No, if you don't support Black Lives Matter, you're in the wrong. It's as simple as that. And when that happened, and I was, you know, obviously creating content and explaining what was going on, but very much within the context of this is for, finally, for good. This is something for good. This is something we absolutely need to support. And I was having people tell me, I'm never listening to your podcast again because it's biased. I thought the difference here is people think that facts they don't like are bias. Yeah. That's not the same thing. And that was, I think, when it all got on top of me a bit, when I realised the kind of scale of my responsibility was, I, would, I can't persuade people about this. This is kind of out of the realms of my control, especially as a fucking privileged white girl. This is way bigger than me and it's getting really nasty. It's getting constant. And I'm also juggling the explaining COVID, explaining Brexit, explaining the American election stuff all at once. And I definitely joined that period and it was lockdown. Yeah, it's it was a lot. I felt so. overwhelmed. Yeah, for sure. What would you say, this is quite a hard question, has been the biggest surprise for you that's happened in the news this year? Because I feel like every time you're like, oh my God, what for you has been oh, the, no, I don't, the I like, craziest? Or I can't. Like, but in terms of the stuff that made me kind of almost think, what the fuck? Yeah. Was maybe the moment that Dominic Cummings, who we mm. all know uh, is like a chief advisor in Downing Street for Boris Johnson, he, um, he was kind of this chief strategist behind this idea that, you know, if you're in lockdown, you shouldn't leave your house and then he drove to Durham and then does anyone went... remember the time that Dominic drove how long was it 262 miles but no but what made me kind of I wasn't one of these kind of blame game brigade people you know I took it for what it was he explained what it was about his family and you can decide how you feel about that and whether you know he gets the privileges of being a man with power and that's why he gets away with it or whether it was you know, totally justified. Up to you. But what made me kind of revel in all of it was people found joy and humour out of, like, this ridiculous situation where it looked pretty hypocritical. This guy that makes the fucking policies <laughs> drives 260 miles away and then to test his eyesight, he to gets in the car. Eyesight. All of this kind of madness made me think, at least throughout this just godforsaken period of time, when the crazy stories come out we can all find a reason to laugh to about laugh. it. I and think you can only laugh. Yeah, at it in and these we situations. need this stuff to keep all the, you know, when we're all mocking it. And when he did that bizarre kind of justification seminar thing where he talked to the press about what happened and he was sitting at that table and it looked like the kind of tables that you used to get outside a sixth form party where the parent <laughs> would sit and take e- <laughs> raffle tickets in this bizarre garden in Downing Street. And there were so many memes about that. And I thought... Politics is mental. There's so many angry, angry people. Fair, fair enough, rightly so. But at least we can find joy in all this. And the, kind of amongst the horrendousness, there is this madness as well. And that was definitely one story where I thought, <laughs> you just can't write it You anymore. actually can't write No, you really, <laughs> really can't. Like, how are we ever going to look back at this year <laughs> and explain any of it? <laughs> I know, to our kids. It so It'll just crazy. be a write-off. Like, if they say it is a write-off, yeah. Just... Be in shell shock. 
It's too much. What would you say has been one of your favourite topics to discuss politically? Because I personally find your episodes on US politics some of my favourites. And I feel like, um, for me, they're the ones where I, I hear you just sounding so like illuminated and really excited about it. So I imagine that would be my guess. But what what are the ones that you like the most? Yeah. What are the episodes that you've enjoyed doing the most? Yeah, in terms of rankings, it goes COVID at the bottom. <laughs> Kelsey <I'm> Cruz. <laughs> over it. Rightly so. And this is a service that I want to provide with enthusiasm where possible. People will ask me questions about COVID because it's very relevant. And I mm. want to provide that. Am I jumping for joy when people say, what are the new rules for Leicester? No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to sit and tell you about that shit. But if you're confused about that and you want someone to cut through and explain it, I will do that always. But then, like you say, there's some where I'm like, yes, I'm so glad people are asking mm. about this because I can't wait to talk about it. And recently, obviously, when um, Joe Biden nominated Kamala Harris to be his running mate, everyone was flooding in with questions about that. And I was so excited because one of my favourite things to talk about isn't just American politics, it's the differences between the US and the UK. We think that we're buddies and everything's similar. It couldn't be more different the way that our political systems are set up. Particularly what is interesting, I think, is in the UK, I think we treat our system as if it's similar to America. When we were having the election in 2019, I think people voted based on the leader they liked. Yeah, right. Oh, 100%. You know, you, you, you saw Labour canvases, canvases knocking on doors saying, hi, can we convince you to vote Labour in this election? And people would say, no, because I don't like Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, that was a massive factor. Right. Yeah. That, but that's not the way that our system's set up. Everyone knows you vote for your MP who represents your constituency and the leader of the party with the most seats in Parliament kind of assumes the role of PM by default. In America, you vote directly for that person. So it's a presidential system. You vote for the character, the haircut, the personality, whatever you want to base it on. It's based on a person. But here in the UK, we're almost kind of looking at them and fawning over it and going, oh, we should have that system. But we don't. Their politics feels so much more gimmicky. Hell Um, yeah. I mean, from the fact that we have Donald Trump as president (laughs) is kind of case in point in itself. Are you a fan of musicals? Sorry, that was a really. There is a even Rob, even Robbie was like, "Where the fuck is she going with that one?" What, like, um, am I very yes? No, I was going to ask Hamilton. Oh, yeah. See, there was an idea with this one. Yeah. Do you have you seen it? Yep. Um, but not live. I saw the Disney, the version of it on TV. Oh yeah, my Disney, god! Yeah. I mean, the Disney is still amazing. Yes. Um, what are your <laughs> No, I was actually just going to ask what um, you thought in terms of it's like the factualness of it. Like, do you know much about the like founding fathers? Well, I think it's interesting. The the colonies. I think it's interesting that they they're kind of discussing that and talking about it and educating people about it. I don't like. I wouldn't want to sit here and fact check it because that would be me making out like I know and I don't necessarily. But. I think it's really cool that they're basically making like historical, political yeah, musicals that's with what a I different mean. genre of music. Can you see yourself <laughs> a writing niche. a politics musical? Basically, <laughs> is what I'm trying to Andrew ask. Andrew Lloyd Webber, give me a call. No, I um, I don't know if that, that, that specific fetish of mine, but like, yeah, I'm you all, enjoy I'm, it. I'm in. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> You can't see yourself like playing. Who would you? Who would you play Theresa May if they asked you to in a musical? No. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Although she has she has great shoes that she well she she says that she does and um, no this is the thing as well like it 
could I? It's such a shame that you had that. That was the only person that you could say. Could, would you play Theresa May? In the I know. It's such a shame. I know. It's not. A, it's not a comment on you. It's just because we're like really struggling for examples of women in such high-powered positions. We've only had two that have been prime minister. So I'm kind of hoping that we can have like a few more chucked in over the you course of the both. next few years, so that we've got a, a bit more of a diverse. I mean, Nicola Sturgeon. Yeah, you we've can got play the her. First minister. Do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see it. You've got the sugar it. quartet. We're going into lockdown. Is that Why? good? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Is that if I close my eyes, it's <laughs> like she's in the room. Oh my god, that was amazing! Thanks, wow, man. have you practiced that? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Lockdown was tough. I just felt quite concerned uh, and I was making a lot of free content, um, which I'm always happy to do. And I definitely know that people really appreciate having someone who's just going to talk about what's going on in politics and not use any jargon, not assume that you know loads of stuff already, really break it down. And I was doing that already, but loads of my friends were saying, you have people who support you, who appreciate you, who back you, who are willing to give you like literally the cost of a cup of tea a month for this um, and on patreon you can put bonus exclusive content on there that only patrons can see so it was this kind of double whammy idea of you know people already want to support me people had actually reached out in the past and said do you have a patreon page and i oh, said really? no because i felt oh, a bit amazing. weird about it asking for cash for stuff that i was already doing for free but then people were like again back yourself yeah people appreciate it do it so um yeah there's different tiers you can pay literally the price for a cup of tea a month or you can pay a bit more a bit more than that and then depending on which tier you go for I kind of create content it's much more specialised if people message me on there it's really hyper engaged we chat all the time like I'm in multiple chats with my different patrons talking about various political issues and we're really getting to know each other it's like a nice community that we're forming and I put up for the first time ever like opinion pieces I've only done two so far yeah I saw and you were saying that you were really nervous to put them up because it's the first time because it's it is scary because I have you know I'm I'm quite keen to make sure that I've don't people don't think I have an agenda when I'm trying to inform them about Mm. what's going on but on this I am sharing my views and I I am aware of the fact that it might sway people's opinions but considering I'm creating a separate community that's a bit more exclusive and a bit more intimate what at the moment this is what I ask all of my guests, by the way. But what at the moment are you feeling the most uncertain about? I know that's a really difficult question to ask right now because everything is uncertain, yeah. like literally everything. But if there's one thing that really screams out to you that you feel incredibly uncertain about, what would it be? Um, oh, Some days it's my whole relationship life and am I happy being single or should I be like, you know, going out there and making more of an effort to meet somebody because I'm just not? Like, if people come into my life, great. But I'm not particularly pursuing apps, for example. I'm not, like, Mm. making that a mission, whereas I know some other women massively are. So that is some days I wake up and I think about that. But actually, probably the overriding thing is my career. That's my baby. That's my love. Mm. It's what I love doing. It's what I love thinking about. And I really feel like I'm free-falling a little bit. And I have to every day wake up and remind myself, like, keep going. And I don't know about you, but... 
at least twice a week, I'll have that feeling of, fuck it, I'm just going to go travelling. I mean, I know we can't right now, but I'm just mm. going to bin this off and just see the world because I haven't seen lots of these places. And why do I even care about careers? What am I even hunting for anyway? I'm just going to go and live in Bali for six months and just have fun. And I have to really rein myself in and go, no, because in 10 You've years you're going to so thank hard. yourself for yeah. this grind you're going to be doing a job that you love and you can Bali will still still be there in a, in a short time you can break that up and just I have to almost kind of talk myself out of those quarter life crisis conversations so I would say you know what am I most uncertain about the fucking future but I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing so far and hope for the best do because I was obviously speaking to my sister about this because she's approaching 30 and you're you're still like far far off 30 <laughs> but she's obviously spoken quite a lot about um what you've kind of touched on which is ticking boxes and fe- yeah exactly and feeling and I know that she'll sometimes uh go down a bit of a rabbit hole and be like god should I freeze my eggs and I'm like yeah no I get it like Tan, you're 30 like You've got all the time in the world. Don't worry about that. But it, you know, and as a woman, you do have to really think about these things and it does really scare you. And as you get older, you're like, oh God, this is all kind of coming at me really quickly. Um, But I think what my sister said, and um, I really appreciated it and it uh, was really refreshing, is the fact that she's not going to let those things weigh her down and that she's like you know I might be 30 but I don't need to be 30 married with kids or any of this stuff I'm not going to live my life by society's standards I feel it ticking and maybe that's silly I know that we're kind of trained to tell each other don't worry about it you're going to be fine you're going to reach all your hopes and dreams but there's reality to think about there is a genuine biological timeline to think about there is the balancing of what you want to achieve where like career wise where you want to visit in the world what kind of fun you want to have to get out your system before you commit to anything and have dependence and what you want to achieve in terms of a family life and whether you want to buy a house one day or whether you want to spend that money on traveling you have to constantly think about spinning these plates and i do think is it possible to have it all no the answer is no. no and or, or for those rare few who seem to be fucking vocal on Instagram, yes, some people have it all. <laughs> but then it makes all of us think we're doing not, everything wrong. I've yeah. messed it up, and I'm too late now. And you know, the big thing is people get to our age. Sorry, my age. Very aware <laughs> of the age gap. People get to my age, twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty, and they think, oh my god, I've poured all my heart and soul into this career. I don't actually know if I want to do this anymore, but it's too late because I've spent all this time getting to this point. So if I want to have kids, I'm going to have to stay on this track so that I can earn enough money. Because if I go into an entry-level job at this age, I'm going to backtrack myself. All of that shit, as much as it's scary and as much as we're trained to tell each other, like, don't worry, everything's fine. I want to validate it. I want to validate If people are scared about that, fair enough, me too. Like, I hope you understand I'm in your boat as well. I get it. And like, at least if you're... Thinking in your mind, what? Oh, this is what I do. I think in my mind, what are my priorities right now? And really, my dad has this expression: "What does success look like?" If if this is my issue, what does success look like? Okay, solving that issue. So I'm going to do that at the moment. And right now, my thing is get back to where I was feeling momentum-wise, and then that's success. And then from there, I'll maybe start thinking about my relationship. And I don't judge other women who have different priorities who, yeah. in a different order. But like, I totally agree and feel it that it's fucking scary thinking about a biological clock ultimately how long can you wait until you have kids i don't know what the facts are but maybe early 40s max yeah so i'm aware of that and i definitely want to have kids Mm. so i've got loads of time i know that 
but I, I feel the panic and I, mm. uh, I, I'm in everyone's boat who, who feels it too. So I don't have solutions, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> I just have that, just You're feeling the panic, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and what would you say you're most certain about at the moment? Your flat? My flat, I Obviously. feel very certain about it. I'm very excited. I'm moving into a new flat. I like the flat, mate. It's in a good area. I'm happy with that. But I think the one thing that I'm happy with, and I think it's important, isn't it, to look at your life and go, what am I grateful for? And that is, I know exactly what I want to do. And I know a lot of people don't. Yeah. And like, I really get that that's a scary thing. I also get that there's pressure to know exactly what you want in life. And that's total bullshit. If you don't, and you're just riding it, cool. I almost envy you because there's no such thing as failure if you're kind mm. of enjoying each moment and pursuing lots of different things at once. I, on the other hand, I know what I want to do. And I feel quite excited about that sense of purpose. So I feel pretty certain, even though if the journey is a bit fucking scary, kind of know where I want to be, or at least what I want to be doing. So I don't think that's going to change. Um, Julia, thank you so much for being on the Thanks podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for opening up and talking about a plethora of amazing issues and topics and your life. Um, yeah, I'm just so happy that you've been on. Um, thank you so much to Noam, who's going to be editing it, and Robbie for the space. And we will be back with another episode very soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.